This is The Faithful Expositor, a podcast from the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Jonathan Sims of Shepherdville Mills Baptist Church. Welcome to another edition of The Faithful Expositor. I'm your host, Joe Carpenter, and today on this beautiful, snowy day in Middle Tennessee, I am here in the studio with Brother John O. Sims. Brother John O., it's good to see you. It's been a while. I've been out on vacation and out with, uh, uh, we've had COVID in our family, but it's so good to be back and it's so good to see you. You doing all right today, brother? Doing great. Good. We've missed you and mm-hmm. missed your family, brother. We talked about that this morning in staff meeting and uh, glad you're better. Amen. And uh, miss you when you're not here. And mm-hmm. like I said a couple of weeks ago, man, it's not the same without you and your family and mm-hmm. Just uh, glad that you guys are all well and back among the living. <laughs> Amen. And it's good to be back. I tell you, one of the it's such a joy when your children are saying, "Hey, Dad, when can we get back in church?" Yeah, that's Man, great. That's wonderful. Well, today we're here with a very, very special guest, my friend uh, and a member of our church, Matt Bolden. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm very well, Joe. Thank you for having me. Today we're going to be talking with Brother Matt about the way that the Lord providentially led him to Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church. But before we do, we just want to give a word to our listeners. This is going to be a very edifying interview, but we also understand it's going to be a very long interview. So with that being said, we've determined to divide it into two parts. So before you listen to part two, please ensure that you listen to part one. Now, Brother Jono, what led you to bring Brother Matt onto the podcast today? Matt is a former Church of Christ minister hmm. who has been converted, born again, and uh, has followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And uh, I've had it on my heart for a couple of months. I think I've told you and Ryan in staff meeting, we need to talk with Matt. We need hmm. to bring Matt in and... Uh, sit down and, and talk with him. And Matt, uh, we'll talk more about this in a moment, but was engaged to a young lady named Drew Smith. And I had the privilege of doing their marriage counseling and performing their wedding. And they're just a delight to Amen. our church. And mm-hmm. our church has fully embraced them and loved them. But mm-hmm. Matt's story is so unique and it's so... Uh, uh, gripped my heart that I just felt like it would help a lot of the brothers and the sisters that are listening. And so, Matt, like I told you, I didn't ask you to prepare anything or bring any notes with you. And I just wanted to talk. And I thought we would just uh, talk about your uh, journey. Um, first of all, uh, if you will, tell us where are you from? Uh, born and raised in Smithville. Uh, Tennessee, um, have lived all my life there, uh, still live there, in fact, and uh, out in the middle of nowhere, middle <laughs> Tennessee. And you and Drew are probably driving about, what, an hour, hour and a half? Uh, an hour and a half, uh, but we're happy to drive that uh, because not long ago, just before we were married, it was uh, a cumulative about mm-hmm. two and a half hours. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you guys are driving back and forth to Shelbyville Mills every week, and uh, you move just a little bit closer. Um, what's your age, Matt? 26. And how old is Drew? 25. 25. And you guys have been married now for how many months? 
how many months is October 9th? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll have Joshua edit out that, that pause that took place there. Very good. I, I knew Josh would have uh, plenty on his plate after I talked, <laughs> yeah. if you let me talk long enough. Amen, brother. Now, you were the preaching minister in a Church of Christ church. Where, where was that? It was the Corinth Church of Christ. It's located in Sparta. Tennessee. Uh, ever since I was, or ever since I was born, I was a member, or a, at least an attendee, of the Keltenberg Church of Christ. That's where I was raised. That's where my parents attended. And uh, after I began ministry, uh, I moved to Corinth there in Sparta. Right. Okay. One thing that's just a curiosity to me, Matt, before we move any further, is uh, that the Church of Christ don't refer to their pastors as pastors they always refer to them as ministers why why is that well i suppose it's a few things but really they believe that a pastor is strictly an elder and not necessarily a preacher and they incidentally often divide those two roles and you know they they will in fact acknowledge that pastor is a biblical term and a biblical office but i think that there's a hesitation that if they use the word pastor, they'll be associated with other denominations, and so they choose rather to use the term of preacher. Um, I think it should be mentioned that a lot of the men who fill the pulpits in churches of Christ more often than not are not functioning as elders in the church. Even though they're taking on the role of preaching and teaching, they will, they're not formally uh, ordained as elders in those congregations. Sometimes I've seen they go by the term evangelist even. Yeah, evangelist, pulpit minister, just minister, um, things of that nature. I think this would be a good place to stop for just a second and not assume that everybody out there knows what we're talking about. Um, and there are, quote, Church of Christ churches all over America. One of the things I learned when I was in seminary in Texas is that the Church of Christ there are a good bit different from the Church of Christ that I grew up with and was familiar with here in the southeastern United States. I thought it would be maybe a, a good thing for us to define uh, this morning what a Church of Christ is before we uh, move any further. And um, again, I didn't bring my history books with me. I'm just kind of doing this from memory, but I know uh, maybe beginning historically that the Church of Christ kind of came through the branch of Alexander Campbell and Barton W. Stone. I remember that the called the Campbellites merged with the Stoneites and uh, formed what was called the Disciples of Christ historically, which became the Church of Christ that we know of today. Um, I would define the Church of Christ as an Arminian movement, um, very decisionistic. Um, they would ascribe to what we call baptismal regeneration, and that is that pretty much uh, baptism is what saves you. It's, that's the defining uh, thing that reveals that you're a Christian. Um, also, a very free will would be another historical uh, you know, banner you could fly over the name Church of Christ. 
which would teach that obviously you can fall from grace and you can forfeit your salvation. Um, another distinctive might be uh, non-instrumental worship in their worship services. Um, and also, uh, I think it would be fair to say, very works-oriented, um, very much a works salvation-based religion. I think the book Muscle and a Shovel, just that very terminology would indicate a work and labor to achieve you know, salvation, that if you do the right steps, if you are engaged in the right actions, if you take the right procedures and methods and employ the right uh, you know, means, uh, th- that's the means of grace. That way you'll be saved. And one of the things that uh, you were very careful to point out to me in my office uh, at the outset of this interview would be to state that from the very beginning, the foundation of the Church of Christ religion is flawed. A lot of people want to um, throw their arm around them and say, well, you know, we may disagree on some things, but they're good people. And, and by the way, there are a lot of good people that we genuinely love. But brother, it, it would be fair to say that the Church of Christ, as we understand biblical Christianity, is non-Orthodox and non-historical Christianity. Would you agree with that? I absolutely would. And uh, it's not a joy to, to draw that conclusion, but I think that we have to. Um, and for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned, but some of those things to a degree can be uh, overlooked in love among brethren. But when it comes to the departure from the gospel, specifically the departure from salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, um, I think at that juncture um, we have to to make that loud and clear um, and to, uh, to really leave no... No question about that because uh, any other group that would espouse the same things in nature, we would separate ourselves from. And uh, sometimes it's easy not to because here in the South, you know, it seems like on every street corner there's uh, a Church of Christ and a Baptist church across the road. And a, and uh, often we give them kind of an intramural status, but un- unfortunately I think that's a distinction that, that we have to make. Yes, sir. So one day I come into church, and my secretary, Kelsey, we have a little notepad that she writes down when I receive phone calls, and there was one of those little white tear-off notepads she'd laid on my desk, and it said the name Matthew Matthew Bolden um, has requested that you call, and uh, he's been listening to you online, and he has some questions. And I picked up the phone that day, and called you and uh, you let me know that you'd like to meet with me and we set up a time and uh, we sat down and had lunch together and um, kind of the rest is history uh, since then. But I wanted to back up and and take a look at that. Um, When you called me up that day, uh, you said that you were a Church of Christ minister and an active at that day. You were preaching that week in, in, in the Church of Christ there and you told me that that you believed that you had been converted. <clears throat> you believed that you'd been born again. You believed that the Lord was dealing with your heart. H- how in the world did you get to us? I mean, how in the world did you call me? How did that all come about? Well, 
I suppose where where that started was, and forgive me, uh, some of these details about the the narrative and everything, sometimes I lose, but I had reached a point in the ministry and where not only had I come to disagree with the teachings very strongly, uh, but I knew that I had to leave Mm. Um, based on my conversion and based on what I, I... believe the Church of Christ taught in its in, in its foundation, it, it was a clear necessity. And the way that I started was I began to send out letters. And one of the churches that I sent letter a letter to was a Grace Life Church of the Shoals. Um, and in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, a lot of the listeners, listeners I know are very familiar with that church. And Matt Fowler, the associate pastor there, called me up and invited for me to come down and have dinner with him and Pastor Jeff. And um, was a was a joy to do so, and they counseled me and and talked with me and uh, had me for lunch. And through them, I was uh, put in contact with another pastor, uh, Blake Keenom, mm-hmm. who's now in Selkirk, Canada, mm-hmm. uh, pastoring a church there. And he and I struck up a, a great friendship, and uh, was talking and conversing, and he was praying for me and and was very gracious and in those conversations he brought up Shelbyville Mills whenever I told him where I was located and um, I think that day or the day after I sent a letter the same letter I'd sent to the other churches I sent to y'all and right. um, y'all reached out to me after that and uh, uh, that's kind of how that's uh, the shorthand of how how I got here yes sir well tell me about your conversion how, how did it take place well it was and I believe with all my heart, as as you all do and as you teach, that justification, salvation, is uh, is a momentary declaration by God. There's one millisecond when you're not saved, and then there's another millisecond when you are saved. Um, however, it was really, um, for me, that particular moment, uh, I don't I don't hold in my mind with great certainty. Um, there was, I know for certain that there was a season of my life whenever I was hostile to God, whenever I loved my sin, whenever I considered obedience to God a burden, whenever I didn't acknowledge His holiness. And then there was another season of life when through the study of the Word, I came to agree with God. I came to love Him. Uh, I came to, certainly not exhaustively, but at least in principle, I came to understand the holiness of God, and I came to at least begin to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. Mm. And I began not only to intellectually disagree with the principles of work salvation and, and conditional salvation, if you will, but also from my heart to just detest the idea that there is anything that I could do, say, or be that would commend myself before the Lord. Mm. And that was that was everything that the Church of Christ was um, and is. And, you know, I have a knot in mind that I hold in, in, in great fondness that I suspect perhaps was that moment. I was studying from Hebrews chapter 2. I believe it's verses 9 through 11. I was actually there at the church um, preparing for the night's lesson. I, I would lead the adult Bible study after the, the youth would go to their separate classes and uh, uh, reading about the Lord Jesus, 
being the captain of our salvation, leading many sons to glory, and just considering myself and that um, that group, joy just flooded my heart. And I remember it was one of those moments when you're studying and you have to stand up and kind of shake it off. Mm. And I went outside and um, I guess this is the emotional part of it, but just the sun was setting and I walked outside and looked at the sun and I don't know what to say other than joy mm. um, and to describe that evening. And I think that everyone who entered the church, whenever people began to arrive, was probably ready to choke me because whenever they entered in, they would be, you know, like usual, carrying the burdens of the day and, oh, I've had a tough day and so on and so on and so on. And I wouldn't let them get away with it. I wanted mm-hmm. them to be as happy as I was. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, whether that was the night or not, you know, the Lord knows. Mm-hmm. But um, I hope that's a, a good synopsis of it. What were some texts from the Bible or messages that you heard? What what were some studies that you did that God used to open up your eyes? What past, What were some passages that maybe the Lord used? Well, certainly a lot. However, kind of the the timeline of it was just for some context there at that church we would of course i would preach sunday morning and sunday night then on wednesday night i would lead the adult bible study which is more or less just a minister-led discussion and uh, we whenever i first arrived there we were studying from a coc booklet but shortly after the congregation decided that they wanted to just go straight to the scripture and just do a verse by verse walk through the books of the new testament Mm -hmm. And one of the ladies who kept records there uh, told me that of all the books of the New Testament, the one that they had gone the longest without studying was 1 Corinthians. And so we decided let's just start a verse-by-verse study there. Um, Ironically, I often think if we would have backed up one book, this may have all happened a little faster. Mm. But uh, I certainly trust the Lord's timing in that. But beginning at 1 Corinthians, I started and went through and still through that time – held all the same beliefs, all the same convictions, um, and was still the same person. And then we arrived at the book of Galatians. Mm. And right up front as I began, it wasn't an instant conversion when we began. It wasn't uh, an immediate 180. However, you know, just within the studying the first chapter of Galatians and studying ahead to the rest of the book, I realized that I'm going to have to wrestle with some things that I thought I understood and thought I had uh, properly addressed in my mind and heart, but realized that very soon there was more here. And to pin it to a specific verse, it actually wouldn't be in Galatians, but of course if you're going to do any kind of an in-depth study of Galatians, one of the passages that you have to consult is Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, which is kind of the the formation of the controversies that the book of Galatians addresses. and. Luke describes the controversy that began there at at the start of the chapter in Acts 15 and and the specific verse escapes me, but he said that these Jewish teachers were going into the Gentile converts and were more or less, were certainly corrupting their beliefs by telling them, and I believe this is the direct quote, you must be circumcised according to the law of Moses in order to be saved. And 
again, it wasn't an instant 180, but whenever I read that verse, and, and frankly, I don't know that I had, I'm certain that I'd read it, but I'd never heard that verse or that passage of Scripture taught up until then. That just stuck a dagger into my heart because take out circumcision and put in baptism. Or anything or, else. <laughs> yeah, certainly. The, the plan of salvation, as right. they would call it. And yeah. there you have the COC doctrine yeah. in, a, in a very small container. Right. And um, and so that got the questions and the, the doubts flowing. And just, just to be brief about it, it started there, and it just cascaded more and more. And the more I read the Scripture, the more I understood, the more I quit making excuses for things that I saw were in clear um, contradiction with my beliefs and, and quit trying to rationalize everything away. And... and um, it was a, it was a very difficult time, but it was a, a wonderful time in the sense that I I realized I could I was able to cease being scared of certain passages. I was able to cease um, trying to explain away what was clear, and um, I I, th- I think that's a sufficient answer to your question, yes, brother. Sir. But that's really how it how it really got started and accelerated. I remember introducing you to Brother Matt Fortunato. Uh, Matt's in the Anchored in Truth family, and he was a Church of Christ minister just like you that was converted. Your story is very, very similar to Matt's. And I remember Matt telling me that the Lord used the book of Galatians Mm -hmm. in his life to show him free grace and show him, you know, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Mm -hmm. That's what the Spirit of God used to convert him and bring him to Christ as well. So I would just throw a challenge out to anyone out there listening to um, open up the book of Galatians and mm-hmm. read through the book of Romans, not through a filter, mm-hmm. but read it like Martin Luther did, open and honest, and uh, allow God to open up your eyes and, and see the truth. The Lord has used uh, all of the New Testament, of course, but these two books down through 2,000 years of church history to show people uh, true nature of salvation, which is in Christ alone, without any meritorious works whatsoever. Um, I was just thinking here, kind of along the lines of being conversational with you. Uh, you reached out to me, and you know, I got that letter from you, and I followed up with a phone call, and you came over. And the first time you came, was it just you and me, or did Drew come? I couldn't remember. The first time it was just me. I thought we, so. We went out to lunch, you, Joe, and Ryan. Right. And um, what was that like? I'm just curious to, you know, okay, you've been, you're a Church of Christ minister, but you're still pretty much living within the fences. You're still mm-hmm. pretty much living within the box. You haven't crossed any, quote, enemy lines. You mm-hmm. you haven't, uh, uh, you know, you, sure, you're thinking, you're reasoning, and you probably already been converted by your own testimony. You've come to terms with the Scripture. But what was it like uh to begin to then cross lines and and come over and sit down and talk with us was that uncomfortable or how? you know it really wasn't um, because at that point you know I had uh, there was this was had been a, a year and a half to two years of a of a time frame since really what I just talked about began to this point and so really it was just for me it, it was a relief yeah. It was a time of of grace and rest, and um, 
not to sound too sentimental, but it was just everything that I'd been looking for. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have to say, though, for, for my wife, Drew, is, who's now my wife, who has a very similar testimony, been was born and raised in the Church of Christ. When she mm. first came here, th- through no fault of any anything or anyone here at Shelbyville Mills, it was kind of a, a you know, plunging headlong into something that's not familiar because her – her testimony and her course and all this coming out of the Church of Christ was was far shorter than mine, um, and uh, and she was very, I have to say, valiant. And uh, I praise the Lord for her every day in that. But um, to answer your question, brother, it was just it was love, it was joy and peace and kindness, and um, it, it was it, it was one of the again not to to venture into sentimentalism. It was one of the the most memorable days of my life. Amen, brother. Um, of course, we'll talk more about this maybe in detail a little bit later, but I, I'm just curious, in in coming and sitting down with us for the first time and having lunch with us, what were some of the – and we'll talk theology here in a minute. That's not really what I'm looking for right now, I guess, but what were some of the differences you noticed right up front? Were there any differences? Did anything leap off the page – uh, in in what you had been used to in Church of Christ circles and coming and sitting down with us and fellowshipping with us, what 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 was that like? Were there differences there? Not, of course, not a ton of differences in terms of of manner and that kind of thing, but in terms of of your heart and the things that you spoke of, that it it was a different world. Um, there was. And this is a word I know that we use a lot here and that we all love, but it was just a feeling of surrender to the Lord. Mm. Um, every time someone spoke here, every time I had the chance to to be in the same room with someone, um, there was no reservations between them and, and the Lordship of Jesus. And uh, it was just all the more confirming that my suspicions, well, they weren't suspicions at that point, but that my convictions were true and mm. that these were the Lord's people and that um, the strongholds in the Church of Christ really were what, what I thought they were. Mm. Seems to me as though by the time you made it to us, you, you, you had been on enemy soil. There's battles, and I'm sure you're not telling us some of that at least. That, uh, But by the time you made it to us, it's like kind of coming home. Yes. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that that would be very fair if you did because that's exactly what it was um you know for that last and we were just you and I were just talking about this I'm so poor with the dates I'm so poor in terms of of the timeline but I w- I would guess something like that last year I I was there for right at 4 years that last year to year and a half that's exactly what it was it the people there loved me and I loved them I still have maintained close friendships uh, some of them family friendships and some of them just acquaintances that, that I got to know who, who I love so dearly, who mm-hmm. if they knew if I needed them, they'd be there at the drop of a hat. But theologically and in terms of what I understood, not just about salvation, but what I understood about the character of God through the Scripture, there was beginning to be some tension and some, as you said, it was enemy soul and um, and the feeling of, of, of isolation, and that's what compelled me to write, to write the letter. Uh, as I said, just didn't have any 
um, anybody to to counsel, any mentors or anything of that sort, uh, anyone to disciple me and to pray for me and and um, when it comes to pe- people in positions like this, especially now and with me, you know, personal vanity would love to kind of take it all on in isolation and 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 kind of. Uh, I don't know how to put it into words, but just to muscle try to, it out, yeah, to kind of make a <laughs> make make a big stink about yourself and you're leaving the church and on and on, mm-hmm. and uh, that that was uh, that fell apart very soon for me because I knew I needed the church, I mm-hmm. needed the local church, and that day when I came here and it was within driving distance, unfortunately, Grace Life Church of the Shoals wasn't. Um, it was every it was everything in that time that I needed, and to know that I was home, to know that I had people here who loved me and the Lord, who were going to pray for me. Our first night here, all of the people who came up to us, me and Drew, and told us people I'd, I'd never met before in my life, "Hey, my small group's been praying for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been praying for you. My family's been praying for you." Um, it, it was just a cascade of of love and. Um, and I just want to, and I know we'll get to maybe applications more so later, but just to make one right now to tell people out there who are perhaps in, whether it's the Church of Christ or anything else, people who are in this position, you need the church. Amen. And you need to find a solid church and to uh, um, to let them walk with you through this. You know, there's so much overlap here. Uh, I'm kind of departing a little bit here, and I know we'll flesh some more of this out in a moment. I'm not going to worry about repeating something later or whatever but this just as it crosses my mind the first three fruits of the spirit paul lists in that list in galatians is love joy and peace and people would expect me to say this because i'm the pastor of the church but it has nothing to do with it it's my personal experience now it wasn't always that way here but for the past well over a decade for for so long i can't even remember there is just a lot of joy in this church. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of peace. I am absolutely head over heels in love with this church and with our people. When I'm, you know, I was away in Arab preaching yesterday. When I'm away, I want to be here. When I'm not here, I think about our people. I long for them. I want to be with them. But uh, I've had people say to me before that come out of a works-based uh, religion, a works-based, you know, uh, noose that's hanging over your head of if you don't perform right, if you don't live right, if you know if you don't live up to standard, you, you can lose your salvation. There's no assurance of salvation. There's no peace in salvation. That, and really, I think the big one would be there's no joy. What, what can you give us? Any? Did you see that? Did you see a difference between? maybe your experience with the church of christ how do they factor into this whole matter of joy hmm. that's that's a great question um you know what what i what i saw i think was i hope this is fair but i saw i saw really two different groups of people in the church of christ um there were those who uh, were very confident in their teachings, who were very solidified. I won't say that it was always they were always very prideful, but that was common. And people who really um, had their in their own minds, so to speak, their ducks in a row and and 
uh, were on were on the up and up with the scriptures and understood it, and and then there was another group of people who my heart really goes out to, who appeared to always be searching for exactly what you uh, described. And they were the kinds of people who after services would always want to talk to me and ask me questions, and they always had a, a look of being burdened. Mm. And um, and perhaps it's because, you know, that system, as you said, um, and it is a system, uh, could not give those people the rest that they were looking for. And um, I certainly hope and pray that a lot of those people, many who come to mind right now, found exactly that as I have uh, but it was really if you will and I and I, I hope this isn't a, a, a in any way a slanderous thing to say but it was kind of the haves and have nots if you will mm. there were those who were very proud and those who were very um, who were searching and did not have any joy to speak of and uh, when I look in the scriptures and I look at what Jesus faced it was really the exact same thing. Yeah. Which one of those would you say best characterizes you prior to conversion? Both. Both. Just kind um, of a mixture then. Yes. Whenever I was younger, whenever I began in ministry, um, for those first, at least for the first couple of years, I was certainly the former. And then when, whenever I began to realize that uh, I didn't know as much as I thought I did, um, which is an understatement, then I, I began to become the latter, and uh, but thankfully, you know, praise God, I didn't have a doctrinal barrier anymore in my mind mm. to where I was left to kind of um, that I was left without joy, because having found the truths in the Scripture of salvation by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone through Jesus, I had direct direct access to the Father, Amen. and um, and so. Uh, thankfully, that was not too long of a season. Well, you were also engaged to Drew. Now you guys are married. And you began to share your conversion experience with her. You began to um, tell her what God was doing in your heart and how you were discerning the Scriptures. What was that like with Drew? Well, for a while... Uh, we, I, I would just kind of in passing share with her some issues that I had and some discontentments that I had with the church and what it taught, but really never kind of addressed it head on until, you know, during the events that I just talked about after I'd come to um, Grace Life Church and after I'd met with you and then I realized, you know, now it's it's time to go. It's time to take the steps necessary. I have a, I have a church, a faithful church now that I can go to. I have brothers who are praying for me who are going to, to meet me in all this, and um, I knew I had to take steps. And so one of the first things to do, the most obvious thing, was to tell Drew. And um, all I can say is that her world got turned upside down <laughs> very fast. Brother, she told me, remember this? When y'all sat in my office uh, for church membership, she said, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and praise God it all happened. Um, but it was it was it was quite a ride. And you know, and I had I, I was in somewhat of a luxurious position because I had the I could I didn't have to tell anybody right. necessarily. And from a conscience point of view, I did, but nobody was probing me. Nobody 
was was forcing me to come out with it. So I had that period of, of approximately two years where I was studying and wrestling and praying through it. And then all of this that I had got dropped on Drew, and it was a, a span of one to two months. And it just, um, I guess the first way that it materialized was one day we were talking about church and talking about things, and, and I told her that, um, and this, of course, is the most critical issue, that I do not did not believe that a person that a person's baptism was the basis of their salvation, or at least that, that was not the point of their salvation. And right then she knew there was a problem, mm-hmm. and then that began more conversation and more uh, certainly pain on her part and and confusion certainly, and um, just. So thankful to the Lord that it went the way that it did. It could have been so much worse. Mm-hmm. But God and his sovereignty um, knit her and I together during that time. And uh, we were talking about these issues one night, and one night she just said, well, I don't know that I agree with all this right now, but I trust you. Mm-hmm. And a few nights later we said, well, we're going to just address it. And we sat down with our Bibles open. Walk through the scripture, walk through, I don't remember what order, but I know Romans 3 and 4 was one of the texts we looked at, Galatians 3, of course, Ephesians chapter 2. And that was her chance. She gave me, just said, you know, just tell me what what you believe and why you believe it. Mm-hmm. We walked through those passages, and at the end, uh, I still remember it like it was yesterday. At the end, it was just, she just said, I do not know how we were misled on this for so long. Yeah. Uh, for for to to be brief, just um, it's so clear was her words. It's so clear, and I remember the days following before we finally did come to Shelbyville Mills, the constant calls and texts that I got telling me, "I now understand this text. I now can see this text clearly. Mm-hmm. This the scripture is actually." living and real to me now was the tenor of what she said and um, it was such a hard time but it was such a wonderful time and i know we'll talk about this more as we go on but you know that's the very basis and the core of our faith brother is that we believe that salvation is regeneration that it's a conversion it's a born again experience and that comes through the instrumentality only of the holy spirit Um, It's not a mere decision. It's not a mere step you take. It's not a mere uh, sacramental uh, hoop you jump through. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, and He enlightens you and awakens you and quickens you. And so that, you know, I know when you and I and Drew sat down together and I just listened, I let y'all talk more than I talked, and I just listened. And it was obvious to me that the Spirit of God was at work converting and and bringing you both you know to to faith in Jesus Christ and that was very clear in Drew's life as well I guess the next tier of this would be then families hmm. you know um, um, and I want to be respectful because I've met both of your families and they're wonderful people they're sweet they're kind they're loving um, they're the kind of people that would be my friends and I consider them friends and I would want them to be my neighbors and um, they're just as kind and welcoming and 
and uh, receptive people as I've ever met anywhere at any time. But what was it like then to go to that next level with, you know, revealing this to your families? Well, it was, as you would expect, very difficult. Um, I believe that process started with Drew's family, and in her case, it was extremely difficult. Um, there were uh, there were times where it, it was uh, very hot, and um, she was so steadfast. Amazingly, because as I just said, it, it was such a fast thing for her, but the spirit of the Lord made the truth known to her, and and. She was. She had bought it and was going to sell it. Not and, um, but there were some hard nights. And as you just alluded to, brother, her parents are, are wonderful people. They they've treated me like a son. Um, in fact, tonight, Lord willing, I'm going to go have dinner with them mm-hmm. and and look forward to it. But, um, you know, there's a lot of expectations and um, assumptions that they had about their daughter. That now, of course, we believe it's because of the purposes of God, but from their perspective, it was because of this boy who had come in and had taken her away from their faith. Mm -hmm. And her parents, um, you know, there's some congregations of the Church of Christ that have somewhat liberalized and aren't aren't, uh, footed strongly on the things that you brought up earlier and, and kind of the foundations, but that's not the case with her family. They attend a very conservative and clear conscience uh, Church of Christ, and all of these things were major issues for them. Um, and uh, the Lord brought us through that season, but it was very tough, very tough. And um, with my parents, um, it was also very difficult. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I have to say that in a lot of ways, I really personally have not suffered a whole lot, certainly not to the extent that Drew has, you know, because I really, maybe only in marginal ways, but I really have never been, if you will, persecuted uh, or or assailed, so to speak. Really, the affliction that that I think came to me most, and I, and I would suspect would come to someone who lives in this area where it's everybody's a Christian, um, you know, the Bible Belt kind of atmosphere. The thing that it seems you struggle with the most is disappointing people. And the night that I reached out to you, not the one that you were referring to earlier, but there was a Wednesday night, the first night that I told uh, one of the leaders of the church there what was going on, what had happened, and that I was leaving. Um, I, I love this man. I still do. He's a dear friend. But... All I, all I can say that whenever I told him that I was leaving and why I was leaving, it was like I was informing him that one of his close relatives had passed away. Mm-hmm. And that pain, you know, there, there are some times whenever I would have, we would have preferred to have been assailed, you know, or, or persecuted than to disappoint people we loved. And it was that with my parents. It was that with my, my grandparents. My grandfather is a, is a former preacher and an elder in the Church of Christ. I have an uncle who is a, a former preacher in the Church of Christ and has held many ministerial roles and um, that's very hard yeah very hard to to shatter people people's comfortable assumptions about you 
I guess this would be a direct application of what Christ meant when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I guess this would be a direct application of what he meant when he said, um, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Hmm. Uh, I guess that's what he meant when he said, for this cause, you know, a daughter will be set against a mother and a son against a father. And um, I remember one of the first times you and me and Drew met. And like I said, I listened more than I talked. You know, I tried to hear you guys out and um, hear what God was doing in your hearts. But I remember, you know, unapologetically saying to you both, Christ is worthy of this. Christ is worthy, brother. He's worthy of whatever the cost are. And that would be anything that I would appeal to anybody that's listening, is that the call of Jesus Christ is worthy of whatever it cost. Following him is worth whatever price we have to pay. And um, I would just challenge anyone listening not to fear uh, forsaking whatever mm-hmm. Christ calls you to forsake to pursue him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. <clears throat> I know that shortly after this, about every time I would speak with you, and I really, really respect you for your patience, and Drew, I really respect you and Drew for your long-suffering and your willingness to explain what you believed and what you were doing. But just about every time I'd speak with you, you'd say, pray for me, brother. We're going to my family tonight for a Bible study. Hmm. Pray for me, brother. We're going to Drew's family tonight for a Bible study. Pray for me, brother. I'm meeting with some of the former leaders of the church for a Bible study. What did those Bible studies look like? What? I'm sure that was not easy. How, how did that go down? Well, um, Everyone obviously was was different, and um, I I regret to say that really the best outcome was, um, to summarize, I see what you're saying, and I see why you're saying that, but I'm not there. Hmm. And at the worst, it was um, just ugly. Hmm. Um, uh, we had one night in particular where me and Drew met with a the gentleman who was at that time the minister of the church that she grew up at, and it it was very hard. And uh, that was one of the moments where there was somewhat of a of a being not not in a an overtly hurtful way, but in a subtly a very you know hurtful manner and and. Um, that was kind of the spectrum of how it went. Um, it, it's it's not in the Lord's purposes, but I, I can't help but wish that maybe you know I could have sat down with someone and they would have said, "I'm just like you. I grew up believing this, and now I see exactly what you're saying. Uh, I can't wait for that time to happen." Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we really we really found no um, no sympathizers in that regard but we certainly were were happy to we had some people one family in particular that i think of from that church who i sat down with and they were very kind and charitable and were very empathetic about it and that was a lovely experience um but uh you know when when you sit down with with someone or with a group of people and this is in no way, shape, or form as a reflection against any of their personal character. But in terms of theology, when when you sit down with someone and you try to go verse by verse, mm-hmm. and constantly there's, well, this verse over here says that. 
or I was taught this, mm-hmm. or um, just um, an implicit kind of refusal to, to listen to the text. Mm-hmm. We constantly were facing that. And um, it was hard and it was disappointing at times, but it was reassuring to me and Drew that um, we were on the side of the Scriptures and all Amen. this. Amen. I know this was a very short time period, but it was a time period that here you are and you're converted. You've been born again. Uh, you've been made a new creature. And yet for a very short time period, you're still the minister at the Church of Christ Church. You're still preaching there. And I remember us having a lot of conversations, even though that was a short period of time. What was that like? It was a very difficult um because, and and perhaps in hindsight, it, should, it was a longer season than it, than it should have been, but to be in a place where you know uh, at every juncture and in every principle, I disagree with, mm. with this. And, um, you know, my preaching uh, was becoming more and more expositional, and I began to love preaching, and I began to love the exposition of the Scripture. Um, but nobody was following with it, mm. and that just... Um, I had foolishly hoped that maybe by preaching exposition, there would kind of be a groundswell of people saying, you know, I'm beginning to call this into question and that kind of thing. And people may be reaching out to me and that really never came. And so it was just a hard time of this isn't my home. I'm, I'm, I love these people, but, but this is not where I belong. And, um, that the, the first night me and Drew came here as as actual attendees of the church that morning um, whenever I left the, the church formally uh, and then came here, it it was, uh, can't put it properly into words, but it was just uh, leaving one universe and coming to another. Mm. Well, <clears throat> because of what the scriptures teach, I'm bound. I don't get to tell you what I think, or I don't get to tell you what I believe, I'm bound to Scripture. And here you are, and Drew, and you guys have both been born again. The Spirit of God has quickened you. You talk about the doctrine of election. You talk about the doctrine of a effectual calling. Here y'all are in another town two hours plus away in Church of Christ churches, and the Lord swoops down from heaven and takes you both out for himself and saves you both. Uh, He saves you by himself and for himself Mm. without the interference of man. Basically, by the time you got to me, you were already converted and you were just looking for help and for hope and maybe for guidance and direction. And I remember telling you guys right up front, you know, after y'all both very clearly articulated a conversion experience, and I was, as best I could be, convinced that you both have been born of the Spirit, born from above, as John 3 teaches. And I told you both, okay, now you need to follow the Scriptures. And the Scriptures say that you need to be baptized by immersion in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, not uh, to save you. But as a testament to the fact that you've already been converted, that you've already been born again. And I know that's kind of a dividing line, kind of, I guess, a last straw in, in, in the Church of Christ mind that you would receive that, what we would call believer's baptism. What was that experience like for you guys when you were scripturally baptized then? 
Oh, it, it was it was wonderful, and and like you said, it was a it was a long time coming. That was the year of COVID, right? And uh, right, that was a everything was kind of postponed with the membership information class and the counseling sessions that we walked through. But when we were finally baptized on December sixth, twenty twenty. Uh, we were in such a hurry to get it done that we got pulled over for speeding on the way here. <laughs> and uh, But it, it was just a great day. There was a finality to it. And the scripture says that in baptism we put on Christ. Mm-hmm. And the Church of Christ believes that that's salvation. But we believe that that is taking on the testimony of Jesus and the profession of Jesus to the world. And to just uh, thunder it to the world that uh, as painful as it was, I know for our families and others that um, were in union with the Lord's people now was just a, a wonderful, wonderful morning. Yes, sir. And I, I still remember the sermon that you preached that morning from Isaiah um, to look upon the Lord and mm-hmm. be saved. Mm-hmm. And um, just a, a, a just a wonderful, a wonderful time. Yeah. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, a look saved me. What a difference, brother. From all the hoops that are set up in front of you, you got to confess this. You've got to be baptized. And not only be baptized, you got to be baptized knowing these truths, this, 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 and this. And you've got to take communion, and you've got to be faithful here, and you've got to be faithful there. And thank God that we can just look to Christ and live, brother. Amen. We can look to Christ, and the Holy Spirit can change us from the inside out, make us a new creature. And then, sure, we follow the Lord in obedience. But uh, our performance doesn't save us. Right. Jesus right. saves. And uh, w- w- what, a, what a great text that Isaiah text is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been a member of Shelbyville Mills now uh, for over a year. Um, I know we've already kind of talked about some of it, but what's this first year like been for you and for Drew being members here? It's, it's been wonderful, brother. And, and I use that uh, – I've used it so many times, but I really don't know how else to say it. Uh, we uh, were so blessed, and with the church as a whole, so many people who have shown us so much love, new friends that we have, um, uh, who who are so close to us now, who we converse with regularly. And one of the greatest things, of course, is the church's small group ministry that we both uh of course, as members have been engaged in, and to be under the leadership of our small group leaders has been a wonderful and a sanctifying experience. Um, we're, we're constantly challenged here, and um, there's so much wisdom and counsel from from the people that surround us here. Uh, we every time we come here over the year, we're we're we we drive home and it's 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 constant. Drew will make a remark. Of this nature to me, or, or or I will, and it's we're, we're so comforted knowing that this is clearly where the truth resides, the ground and the pillar of the truth, mm-hmm. and also that we're constantly challenged by the people around us. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, it's just been a great joy to uh, to be here with with the church. Uh, I intentionally wanted this first part of the podcast to just be what we've been doing maybe switch gears here and talk about some doctrinal differences between the Church of Christ and churches that are kind of in the, I don't know what term you'd use, the grace camp, the reformed camp, uh, uh, whatever terminology you would want to use. But just before we do that, I'm just interested, brother, just for the record, 
How much pressure has been put on you and Drew to conform to something we want you to conform to? How much uh, have we needled you or pressured you or pushed you or demanded you do this or that? Uh, in, in matters that aren't absolutely essential, zero. Mm. Um, love covers a multitude of sins, and we have uh, been shown so much love in that regard. And um, people have not in any way prodded us. Mm. People have not, um, you know, recently you spoke about non-biblical preferences. Mm-hmm. We've encountered none of that. Yeah. And um, people here uh, love us unconditionally, and they uh, love us almost recklessly because um, we're their brothers and sisters in the Lord. And um, we, all that the people want for us here is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Amen. And we know every time we talk to somebody, every time we we have lunch with someone here, every time we spend an afternoon with them, uh, that's the impression that we get, that um, they want us to be more and more like the Lord every day. And beyond that, there's just a smile, and I don't know what word would best capture it, but I, I hope that answers the question. Well, it certainly does, brother, and thank you for that. We're going to come to a screeching halt here and pick up where we left off next time. In the meantime, we love you very much. Thank you for listening to The Faithful Expositor. For more information on Brother Jono's ministry, go to our church website, smbconline.com, and follow him on Twitter at Jono Sims.